Welcome to the Victory Life Church Podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at vlcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. Thank you, Danny. Thank you, team, for leading that. It's a special song to set up the series, a song that was written by uh, various worship leaders in South Florida, including my brother. So uh, really, really special to sing that song. And I just, uh, I love that. I can't believe that I get to sit at the table with Jesus. Uh, my name is Jacob. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to welcome you. Can we welcome our church family watching in online? Thank you for tuning in. Tell the person next to you, I'm so glad you're sitting next to me. There's a reason you're sitting next to me. I don't know what it is yet, but uh, uh, you're sitting next to me. Um, my dad told you, uh, some of the men in this room and some who are still at this retreat, we just went away to a men's retreat and we don't really call it a retreat for those men in the church. We, we don't retreat, right? But um, we got to get away and we call it a boot camp. And uh, I'd just like to tell you that VLC was represented well at this boot camp because myself and, and Ashton, I'm not, not sure if Ashton's here, but, um, but me and Ashton over here, we, um, we took the gold medal in the cornhole tournament. Come on. I don't know what it was. Man. We just, we, we didn't even want to play, but uh, they put us in there. There was, I don't know, I saw 42 teams signed up. I'm not sure if all 42 participated in, but uh, me and him. And I don't know what it was, but we just had the favor of God and every single court bag toss in that hole. And uh, man, it was, it was fun. And you may be asking like, seriously, Jacob, cornhole? You're going to brag that you got a gold medal in cornhole? Um, do you have a gold medal? Ashton and I do, so uh, it was good. Hey, we are beginning a brand new series that, believe it or not, almost 60 churches in South Florida are teaching on the exact same thing. 60 churches in South Florida. Miami-Dade, Broward County, and Palm Beach County are teaching on this series that we've titled The Seat at the Table. Here's the truth. Um, in the book of Luke, there's 10 occurrences that talk about a meal, and five of them are unique to the gospel of Luke. Because how many of you know that the, the dinner table is extremely important, very important? Let me ask you a question. When's the last time that you had a family meal at the dinner table? When's the last time you sat around a table like this, maybe with a few more seats, and you had dinner? What, would you, what were you eating? Uh, you know, were you eating pasta or chicken wings? That's, that's my favorite meal. Were you eating arroz con pollo? Or what were you eating? I mean, there's a lot of things that we could be eating. But the more important question is, um, who were you eating with? Who were you eating with? Odds are you were probably eating around the dinner table at your home with your family, your kids, maybe your parents, maybe some really, really, really close friends. But I guarantee you there probably were not strangers at that dinner table, right? Because the dinner table for us is by invitation only. You knock at my door and ask if you could eat, we might not feed you. Because <laughs> this table is precious. This table in my house is sacred. This table that I sit around with my wife and my three kids is important to me. It's intimate to me. When's the last time you did that? I'm not talking about ordering Uber Eats or I'm not talking about as parents, what we like to do often when it's late, we just feed our kids chicken nuggets because that's all we have. And then we sneak out of the house and not both of us at the same time because that would be irresponsible. Uh, but I sneak out of the house and I get Chipotle or Chick-fil-A and I bring it back to the house. And, and then we eat while our kids are like getting ready for bed. Uh, and they're like, where's our food? And we're like, you already ate chicken nuggets, right? This is for mommy and daddy. I'm talking about when's the last time you sat down and, and you ate and I know Thanksgiving's coming up and some of you are gonna eat 
probably too much than you should. You're going to eat um, in one day what you should be eating in three days, but uh, that's Thanksgiving where we, uh, it's okay to be a glutton, right, on Thanksgiving. But what um, were you eating? More importantly, who were you eating around? Because that dinner table is very precious to many families. Invitation only. Now, let me just say this, and, before, and I'll pray. Think about the table of God. Who gets to dine with the divine? Who gets a seat at that table? Who gets to experience intimacy with God Almighty? Who? Is it a select few? Is it only the proud and the brave and the elite? Is it only those who know and have a great church attendance record? Who gets to sit at the table of God? Is that by invitation only? Or is, or is that an open invitation? To all who hear, we're going to look at over the next three weeks three encounters that we see around a table, around eating a meal. And I and I probably know that this might make you hungry. And I know you're already thinking about what you're going to eat for lunch because now he's talking about eating. So just if we can hold off for a little bit um, and talk about this, we're going to go to Luke chapter seven. Father, thank you for all that you have done. Thank you for even this moment here today that we're sitting here, living in a free country in a free state where we can worship you freely and we don't have to be afraid of, of, of the God that we pray to. We don't have to be afraid of the book that we read and we hold so, so sacredly, God. We don't have to be afraid of those things. Other countries, they are. Other countries, people are being killed for this. And so we sit here in gratefulness, God, thanking you that we get to do this. We get to worship. We get to praise you. We get to show up to church, although uh, some of us are we're introverted people and we don't like too many people. But as long as we like a few people, I guess that's, that's okay. And here we are. And the desire within us is to, to really genuinely be better people, better men, better women, better husbands, better wives, better fathers, better mothers, better sons, better daughters, God. That's what we, we desire to be that. And so I pray that your word, which the Bible says it teaches us, it trains us, but it also rebukes us and it corrects us. But to do so today, as we walk out of these doors, we'd be better people because of it. We love you so much. And it's in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen, amen. So uh, you have to bear with me. This, is a, this will be a little different usually used to teaching with a podium here. Um, is, that, is that okay? Is this, is this weird? Is this, un, is this uncomfortable? Is this too intimate? Uh, that's the point, okay? So we're, we're gonna get there. Go to Luke chapter seven if you have your Bible. If you don't have a, a Bible, that's okay. It'll be on the screen, Luke chapter seven. And um, as you're going there, let me give you some, some context of what's taking place. Jesus has done his great sermon on the mount. How many know that sermon? Sermon on the mount, Sermon on the Plain, as Luke would say, talking about a lot of great things. And he's traveling around. He's performing miracles. This idea of like, there's, there's, a, there's a, a miracle worker. There's a, there's a prophet amongst us that's so great. And everybody's ecstatic about it. And everybody's talking about this Jesus. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. He's just raised a widow's son, not from the grave, but from the coffin. Now, I've been to funerals and memorial services where people were laying hands on the coffin expecting that God would raise their son. I've been to those. And this is what Jesus does. He shows up, he sees a coffin and he raises the son out of the coffin, a dead child he raises. So, so this news is spreading. 
People are starting to believe what this strange man, John the Baptist, was preaching about, that there would be someone named Jesus that would show up and do all these great things. And people are starting to believe that John's way is really God's way. And now there's this man named Jesus that seems to be preaching about the way. But when there's somebody great and there's a lot of people celebrating them, there's always the critics. There's always the doubters. Do we have any uh, people who just are natural doubters? You just don't believe it until you experience it, until you see it? You know, I just, I, I just gotta know. I gotta know for myself. I'm hearing all these things, but I just, I just need to know. I need to show up. I need to see it. I need to touch it. I need to eat it. I know, Jacob, you, you say that Chick-fil-A is manna from heaven, but I've never been to Chick-fil-A. So I, just, I didn't need to go experience Chick-fil-A. If you have not experienced Chick-fil-A, as God looks through the Lamb's Book of Life, your name probably is not in it, uh, but that's a joke. So, you know, I, I got to experience it. And, well, there were a couple individuals, a group of people. We know them as the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. They were skeptical about this Jesus. And one of them was named Simon. Simon was a Pharisee. And he thought to himself, a lot of chatter is going on about this Jesus figure. Why don't I invite him over to my house, invite him to my dinner table, and share a meal? And this is what happens in Luke chapter seven, verse 36. Read with me. It says, now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. And so he, Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. I, I love that. He's just like, I, I wonder what it looked like for Jesus to recline, you know. And then the tables were a little bit different. You actually, if you know your history, you, they actually leaned forward and their feet were back at the table. So it wasn't like they were eating and, you know, people were talking. They were actually leaning forward. So Jesus is reclining at this man's table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume and she stood behind him at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and she then wiped his feet with her hair. She kissed his feet and she poured perfume on them and some of you are thinking like, all right, you lost me at feet. I just, I don't know. This is weird, uh, but this is, you have to understand what's happening here. Now, a couple questions that I wanna ask and address, and if you're taking down a few notes, maybe you can write down some of these answers or some of these questions, but um, think with me for a moment. We know the relationship between you know, good and evil. We know the movies with the good guy and the bad guy. And um, isn't it interesting how, that was, that was weird. Um, isn't it interesting how they usually uh, don't, eat together. The bad guy and the good guy don't dine together, right? That's, I think we can agree upon that. Some of you, your worst enemy is your neighbor next door, and there would be nothing that would convince you to invite them over for a meal. And they're not going to do the same thing for you. So why is a Pharisee, who we know who they are, we know what they stand for, then who they disagree, who, who, we know who they disagree with, why is a Pharisee inviting Jesus over to his house? Does he have some ulterior motive? I know some of you ask that when my dad calls you and invites himself over to your house. What does he want to know about me? And, uh, and you tell him, you can come, but give us a month to kind of clean up. You know, it's like, we got to push that away, push that away. Hide those DVDs because we don't want the pastor seeing that. Hide the liquor cabinet because we don't you know you. It's like, we got to clean up before the pastor shows up. So the Pharisee, who, who may have an ulterior motive, we don't really necessarily see that. He seems to be interested in what Jesus is offering him. If you remember the story that John records of Jesus and Nicodemus. Nicodemus, a teacher of the law. 
somebody who's opposed to this new way of living, this new way of thinking, yet has a conversation with Jesus. You remember that story? And Jesus talks about being born again and Nicodemus is so interested in what's going on. I mean, how, how could this man even want a conversation with Jesus? Now, it's interesting that he does it at night so nobody can see, but he's interested. I think a lot of us have been there before. We're slightly interested. I'm not sure what to think about this church. You go back years ago. I'm not sure what to think about this Jesus guy, but um, I, I'll try it out. You know, as we sat here this past weekend, we saw five, almost 500 men 500 men. And this wasn't like, hey, we're gonna go out and win tickets for the Super Bowl. I mean, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about God. 500 men showed up. Half of them were manipulated into showing up by their friends who said, hey, we're gonna shoot guns and we're gonna eat a lot of steak and it's gonna be a great thing. And they're like, yes. And then they get up there and they, there's preaching, there's worship. And they're like, what did my friend just do? Convince me to show up to this place. But many of them were interested. I want to find out what this is all about. And so the Pharisee here, we find in the, in the early stages of this relationship between Jesus and the, and the people of the law, uh, they weren't yet the antagonist. Now, we know what they would become. We know what Jesus would tell them when he called them a brood of vipers, when he called them sons of hell. Now, you know, what that, you know that's going to come, yet here they are sitting at the table together sharing a meal. And, and if you fast forward, Jesus is gonna call them sons of, sons of hell. He's gonna call them whitewashed tombs. He's gonna call them hypocrites. But again, this is the early stage of this relationship developing with Jesus and the Pharisees. And so, so Jesus shows up and the Pharisee invites him. But that's the other question I wanna ask is why would Jesus show up? Why would he go to a place where he would be hated? Why would he go to a place where he would be judged? Why he would be cast it out, why would, he go to, why would you go to your enemy's house? You have to put your eyes on what Jesus is looking at. Where is he looking at? He's not looking at our actions, he's looking at what? Our heart. Because Jesus is after every single person's heart. It doesn't matter how religious you are, it doesn't matter how evil you, you may be. If Jesus is invited, he's going to attend. Because he's after everybody's heart, including Simon, this Pharisee. And so Jesus is now sitting at this table. He's reclining at this table with this Pharisee when all of a sudden an unexpected guest shows up. The unexpected guest is a woman. A woman shows up who is a sinful woman. A stranger appears. Could you imagine if somebody just opened up your front door and sat at your table? You'd be looking cross-eyed at them thinking, why are you here? Now, can I tell you, as a young child, I would come home from baseball practice and I'd sit at the dinner table only to realize that there was some homeless man sitting across the table from us because uh, they had asked my dad for money and my dad said, how about a meal? And uh, my dad, I mean, mom knows this. We'd have, I mean, we'd, we'd, we'd have strangers in our house all the time. We'd wake up and see strangers on our couch. Uh, maybe it was some relatives, or, but we'd see strangers sitting at our table and we're thinking, man, this is really good, dad, and this is great, we should love people, but... Uh, Mom and I think that this person might be a serial killer. And now you've invited them into our home. They know where we sleep. Um, uh, what, what, what were you thinking? Because we don't invite strangers to our dinner table because this is an intimate, this is an intimate thing. And yet here we have this woman who shows up. What do we know about this woman? Well, the Bible says that she's a sinful woman. She's lived a sinful life. So not only is she living in sin, but it's very clear by the response of Simon that this woman is known for sin. 
You could just see it on her. You can, you can smell it on her. Many would assume that she was a prostitute of the town. Now, we're not to mistake her with the other Marys that have similar encounters with perfume and washing Jesus and, and their feet and, and using their hair. But what we do know is that this woman was a sinful woman and she shows up. Why does this woman show up? Was it just because there was some man by the name of Jesus sitting down there? No, it says this in Luke chapter seven, verse 37. It said, when the woman who had a sinful life in the town learned. Somebody say learned. The only way to learn something is to hear something or to see something. What was it that this woman had heard? What was it that this woman learned that would cause her to just abrupt some dinner table present herself there, do what she did. What was it that she had to know in order for her to go there? If you've ever just not even knocked at somebody's house and you barged in because you needed something, what is it that you needed? But you didn't have the audacity to, to, to text. I mean, you, you've, you've experienced that. You've been at home and, and somebody rings your doorbell and you're like, how did they find me? You know, like, how did they know I'm here? And it's like, well, you have neighbors, you have people, you have salesmen. They're going to ring your doorbell. It's like a foreign thing for us to hear the doorbell ring. I showed up to my house late at night because we got home late at night, and my wife had mistakenly locked all the doors, including the garage door that we enter in. And here I am knocking at the door, which is right next to the door that my kids are in, all three of them sleeping, and I'm knocking, and I'm knocking, and I'm knocking, and I'm trying to, like, what do I do? I've called my wife seven times. I've even FaceTimed her seven times, thinking that that would change. I'm like, Cheryl, wake up. I am stuck in this garage. I need to get in. So what did I do? I went to the front, and I rang the doorbell. Well, she nearly had a heart attack. The dog was barking loud and she came in and I was like, oh, listen, I'm sorry. I had to do what I had to do. But it's like a foreign thing for somebody to ring our doorbell because we don't want anybody intruding into our space. But if somebody's gonna ring your doorbell, clearly they're wanting to know something or they need something. And in this case, the woman just barges in, doesn't even ring, doesn't even knock. She shows up because what does she no. I want to take you to Matthew chapter 11 if you have your Bibles. Remember, we have four accounts of this, the, the life of Jesus from four different perspectives. And Matthew records what Jesus is preaching on right before this moment. There were many people that were hearing about what Jesus was talking about, and they, they saw the things that he did, they heard the things that he did, and it compelled them to respond in such a way, similar to how this woman is responding. But, but why is this woman responding the way that she's responding? She's a sinful woman who's now uh, going into a, to a Pharisee's home who is all about the law that she simply cannot uh, uh, abide by. What would cause her to, to barge into that home and sit at that dinner table? Well, I want you to listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11. This is verse 28. Jesus is preaching. And he says, come to me, all who are weary, all who are burdened. And what does it say? I will give you what? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and I am humble, and you will find rest for your what? For your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Some of, some of you, this passage changed your life. You are a broken mess. You are full of issues, full of burdens. 
you felt like there was nothing that could save you or change your circumstance. And then you heard this passage where Jesus said, if that's you, come. Wait a minute, I, I gotta get right before, God, before I could show up to church. I gotta get my, my, my finances situated. I gotta get my sins situated before I can show up. I, 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 I gotta clean up before I can show up. And what does Jesus say? Just show up. I'll clean you up after. But don't feel like you gotta clean yourself up because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I say that because we can, we can maybe assume that this woman is in that crowd hearing that exact message. Wait a minute, I can find healing for my soul? I can, I can be restored? All my sins can be forgiven? All the bad that I've done, all the wrong that I've committed can be forgiven. Are you telling me that there's a man who can take the burden that I'm carrying and he can give me a lighter load? Are you saying that there is somebody who can heal me, not just on the outside, but heal me within? And because this is what I hear, this is what I know, then clearly I have to do whatever I can to be at his feet. Some of you did everything you could. It didn't matter what it was. You were willing to do whatever it took to fall at the feet of Jesus because you were done with living for the world. Can anybody relate? You were done. You were saying, take it all. I don't even care. Take my money. Take my cars. Take my job. I don't care. As the psalmist wrote, that I'd rather be a, a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Can anybody relate to that? I'd rather be a doorkeeper at the house of God than keep dwelling in the sin that I've been dwelling in. So God, I'll do whatever it takes. And that's what I told God at 19 years old. God, whatever it takes, I'm all in. You can have my life. You can have my destiny. You can have my future relationships. You can have whatever it is. God, I give, I give it to you. I don't, I don't, everything I have is already yours, so, so you can take it. Because you are a God that gives and you are a God that takes. You can have it. This has got to be what this woman knows who's experiencing pain, who's, who's experiencing a, a, a trauma from the sinful life that she's not just lived, but from what everybody knows. And so she shows up. She takes a seat at the table. She gives everything that she has. She falls to his feet. She weeps enough to wet his feet. She takes her hair to wipe his feet. She takes the, the alabaster jar, the expensive perfume that she has, and she drops it at his feet. She says, I don't even care. Everything I have is yours. Heal me, Father. Heal me, Jesus. And she's, she's here sitting now at this table. Now, I want to say this, um, because what we're seeing right here in this passage in, in Luke chapter 7, you can go back to Luke chapter 7, is we are seeing a display of a repented heart. And I don't know about you, but it's not often that we see displays like repented hearts like that. But I, but I desire to see them. I, I want to see them. Because I don't always see them. I mean, you can maybe, maybe relate. You've been sitting with somebody at a coffee shop and you wanted to share your faith. And here you are talking about Jesus. You're sitting there. And this is their response. Yeah. Yeah, God is good. My other Bible was, yeah, sure, sure. And you're talking to them about your faith. You're talking about what God's done in your life. You're talking to them about the Bible. And then you ask that question like we all do. Are you ready to make a decision for Jesus? And this is their response. Uh, how long is this going to take me? Um, uh, you know, is this going to, how long is, do I have to pray some prayer? Um, do I have to give up some things? Because I, I have some more I've got to do. But how long is this going to take me? Because I got some more sinning and repenting to do. 
Is, is that a sign of somebody who's willing to give up everything they have for Jesus? Is that a sign, is that a display of a repentant heart? Yes or no? No, not at all. But yet we see this woman here who's clearly saying, I'm so broken that I don't even care what house I'm entering into. I don't even care what I gotta give up. I don't even care what feet I have to fall to. I I don't care, I'm done living in sin. I'm done acting this way. And so I'm not ashamed anymore. I'm not embarrassed anymore. I'm willing to throw away things that I don't care about anymore. Church, this is what we should celebrate. Luke chapter 15, verse 10 says, there is joy before the angels of God when one sinner repents of their sin. There is more rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents than 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. There is joy in the house of the Lord where people show up and say, God, I give up everything. I don't even care anymore. I just want to surrender to you. There should be joy in the house of the Lord when we see that. And as my dad preached last week, VLC will be a soul-winning church. Amen? And what I'm not saying is that the soul-winning is all going to happen here on a Sunday morning. It's clear what the Bible says. You are to be a soul-winner. You are the body of Christ. And we should celebrate when we see people who are going from death and experiencing life. But here's the problem, because we're so critical and we're so comfortable with where we're at that um, it gets icky and it gets stinky and it gets weird when we're reaching people like that. But I don't want to go in that place because it smells. I don't want to go to that house because the food they're going to give me isn't what I'm used to eating. And and, uh, I just don't know. And we tend to compromise who we share our faith with. We tend to not get as excited about when people are coming to the Lord, especially when they're filthy. I mean, we've experienced those those people. I mean, I I drive to the the places and I see the, the homeless person on the side of the road and my window's down, I uh, roll my window up. I, 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 I mean, maybe, I'm just admitting. There, there are times that I do that. I just don't wanna, you know, like, you see that guy who walked into church? Man, he smells. And this is the part, and, and this, is the, this is the beauty of God, and this is the, the terrifying realization of mankind. We don't respond like God. God's heart is very different than our hearts. God sees very differently than we see. God sees this woman very differently. And so we've got to be willing, if we're going to be a soul-winning church, we have to be willing to accept those who are coming in. We have to be able to deal with those who are coming in. But I want you to notice what the prophet or the the Pharisee says, Simon, in in verse 39. Go with me there, verse 39. (laughs) This is what he says. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man, Jesus, were actually a prophet, then he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman that this is. For she is a, what, sinner. Jesus. This man proclaims he's a prophet, and he can't even discern that this woman is a sinful woman. He can't even discern that this woman is full of debauchery, full of all, all this immortality, I mean, immorality. I mean, and she's here at his feet, washing his feet. <laughs> some, some prophet. And this is, the, this is what's so in, embarrassing about Christianity at times and about the church at times because this is the same attitude that we have. Somebody steps into the church doors. They're looking for answers. They're looking for hope. And I'll be the first to admit it. I'm there with you. I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not above the rest. And we sit here and think, ah, oh, I hope they don't come back. 
I, you hear what they said? You heard what they were doing during worship? You, you heard what they were saying and distracting? And, and man, they, they, they smelt. I mean, do we have any seats like in the back for them to sit in? You know, like, do they have to come up close? And maybe that's been you at times. You showed up to a church and maybe you've experienced those people. When I was serving at a church in Boca Raton, you have to understand, uh, Boca Raton, you've got Delray Beach right next to Delray Beach. And by the way, it's currently where I live. And Delray Beach is a fascinating town because it's the rehab um, capital of the nation. Everybody that I meet my age in Delray Beach, odds are they're down here for rehabilitation. They're down here because they're struggling with addiction. They've left their state. They've left their home. They've lost everything. I've met quite a few at the retreat that I was at. I said, hey, you from Florida? And they said, no, I'm from Oklahoma or from somewhere else. I'm like, why'd you come down here? They said, well, I was a heroin addict for 15 years. And um, I was talking to this guy. I won't say his name. You won't know who he is, but I was talking to this guy. He's a heroin addict for 15 years. He barely had any teeth. He looked great, but he didn't really have any teeth. And and I, and I said, why'd you come down here? He said, I'm a heroin addict. And I said, well, wow. I said, well, what happened? Why are you here? And he said, well, God changed my life. I was at a rehab facility and found a church. And I was like, well, where did you live? He's like, I, I lived in Delray Beach. And I'm like, I, I live in Delray Beach. I'm like, what, 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 what place were you at? Because I know where many of the halfway houses are. I know where many of the rehab facilities are. And he said, oh, there's, there's one in this little street called Via Delray, um, this apartment complex. And I'm like, I live on Via Delray. This man that I'm sitting here talking to who was a heroin addict for 15 years from Oklahoma lived, I'm telling you, 100 yards from where I live currently. And he was there for three years. And God changed his life. And he's married, he's got some kids, and God is using him to do great things. Now, I say that because the church that I was at was in Boca Raton, and being a city from the rehab capital of the nation, we would, we would start to see, Rudy, you know what I'm talking about, Danny, you know what I'm talking about, we would start to see buses of people come in to our church who were coming from rehab facilities. And people that were coming from rehab facilities often would get out of the bus and the first thing they would do is light up a cigarette. And they would hang out by the front doors and they would smoke their cigarettes and then they would come into the church and what we saw every single week was people who were giving up their drugs, giving up their addictions, who were giving up the, the wounds that they had from when they were young. They were giving up the, 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 uh, the agreements that they've made and, and, and they were coming in and they were falling to their knees and it was beautiful and we were celebrating. I'm telling you, it was one of the greatest things that was taking place in Boca Raton was that people who were convicts, people who were addicts were coming to know Jesus. We couldn't have a building big enough on Tuesday nights to host these people. Because they just kept coming. They just kept inviting people and they bust them in on Sundays for church. We had a meeting one week with our pastor to address the fact that there were few people in our church that could not stand the smell of smoke. And they were going to leave the church because they had a hard time with walking through the front doors, walking through a cloud of smoke because there were people who were smoking. They had a hard time with it. Now, I will say this, that, that those few people, and oftentimes you'll see this in organizations and in churches, a, a few people seem to make, to, to make the biggest noise and they seem to represent the whole church. That was not the case. But there were a few people who were very critical who said, like Simon, why are these people here? This is church for God's sake. They smell, they look like a mess. Why are they here worshiping? My kids are here. And there are addicts sitting next to my kids. And the smoke, we got to deal with the smoke. And so they wrote letters. And so a pastor gathered us all together. He sits us down. And he says, guys, we got a smoke issue. We got a smoke problem. 
He said, what are we gonna do about the smoke? And he gave us a solution. He said, we're gonna give them a place where they can smoke. And we created these little sections kind of on the side of the building. We set up little grass spots with benches and ashtrays. And every single Sunday, I mean, this is, guys, this is the heart of God. These people would bus in. And rather than sitting at the front, because maybe that was a little bit of an issue, okay, I get that, they would have their own space. I'm not saying we were catering to their addictions. That's not what I'm saying, guys. Listen, they were going to do it anyways. And we said, if they're going to come here anyways, God said, come as you are. Come as your, your mess. If you got sin, just come. If you're broken, come. And we're going to give them a place where they can smoke their cigarettes. And then they can enter into church. And guess what those critics did? They left. Because we couldn't cater to them. We couldn't answer their questions. We couldn't satisfy them. But what did we see? More addicts showing up to church on Sunday morning getting saved. We got to be careful as believers that if somebody comes into this church and they smell, we'll accept them. In fact, I'll tell you that I told this to a lot of our team last Friday. I said, hey, if you smell, that's okay. We accept you. We love you. I'll even show you backstage where we have a shower. <laughs> you know, it's like, like man, we're, we're, just, we're just so glad you're here. We're so glad you're here. But when you show up, God is going to change everything about you. And that's what happens with this woman who shows up at this dinner table and, and Simon is like, and he's talking to himself, by the way. He's not talking to Jesus because it says in Luke 7, verse uh, 39, it said, when the Pharisees saw this, he said to himself, he's over here whispering, he's like, if only Jesus knew about this woman, if only Jesus knew that she was a sinner, she was a prostitute, if only Jesus knew why, what kind of prophet is he? And he's whispering this. And here's the thing about Jesus is he knows your deepest thoughts. You don't have to speak it. He knows it. Oh, it's also the most frustrating thing about Jesus, right? It's like, I just wish that he could hear me when I speak and, and not know my intentions. But the Bible says that he knows your deepest, darkest secrets. And so he talks to Simon and he responds to Simon. Go with me. This is, uh, Luke, this is verse uh, 40, Luke 7, verse 40. Jesus says, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, what is it that you have to tell me? I mean, he doesn't think Jesus heard what he said. Tell me. And uh, Jesus says, there are two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii. That'd be about two years wages. And the other 50 denarii. That'd be about two months wages. So we're talking about a good chunk of money and a really big chunk of money. So two men owe this amount. One owes a massive amount. One owes a little bit of amount. 42, neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both of them. And everybody in debt said, amen. Come on, Lord, send that person to my house. Uh, now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. Jesus said, you've judged correctly. And then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, that, now, stop there. That, did you just hear what we just read? He turned towards the woman and he says to Simon, why isn't he just turning to Simon, addressing Simon? Because what was more important right here in this moment was yes for him to address the situation, but it was to heal a heart. And so Jesus focuses his attention, even while he's teaching, on the broken heart. 
because Jesus did not come to heal those who were not sick. He came to heal those who were sick. Who was sick? This woman. And he turns to the woman while speaking to Simon. He says, do you see this woman? I came into your house, but you did not give me any water for my feet. It was common to offer water to clean their feet because the roads were dirty. You didn't offer me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and she wiped them with her hair. You did not even give me a kiss because it was common to breathe their brothers with a kiss. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I had entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, Simon, I tell you, her sins are many, but her sins have been forgiven. For she loved much. He who has been forgiven loves little. Now, I want you to notice this because there's two things that are happening here. And the first, Jesus is establishing the rationale of why this woman is doing what she's doing. He's, he's telling Simon while looking at this woman of, of it, here's what's happening, Simon. Uh, this woman has had a great debt to pay. Look at all that she's done. What was she seeking? The one thing that she desperately needed, and what was that? Mercy. She needed mercy. Now, there's a difference between mercy and grace. My dad's always taught us this way. Grace is something that you get that you did not deserve. How many thankful for the grace that you got that you did not deserve, all right? And then there's mercy, and mercy is not getting what you do deserve. How many thankful that you have not gotten what you do deserve? Some of you have been pulled over by the police. You knew exactly what the punishment was. And for some reason, they were like, I'll let you off. Thank God for the mercy. Wow, now that's rare. And if that's you, tell me your secrets. Tell me what you can do that I can do, but it's not always happened in my case. My wife says, just show your hair. And I'm like, well, you can do that, but I don't have any hair. So how am I, I going to do that? Um, so, so what's happening here is this woman is desperately looking for the mercy of God. In fact, let me share a passage with you. Hebrews chapter four, verse 16. It says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The woman realized what she needed, but she also realized who was giving it. Because church, it's one thing to know what you need, it's another thing to know where you're gonna get it from. We've got so many people who know what they need, and they're searching in so many wrong places. They're trying to find that which they need from people. They're trying to find that which they need from drugs, from alcohol, from substances, from men, from women. They're searching for it in success, for in money. They know what they need, but they have not found who gives it correctly. But this woman discovers the secret and where she can get it from. And it's from this man, Jesus. She heard. It didn't matter how embarrassed she'd be, how ashamed she'd be. She heard and she believed that what Jesus had said when he said, come, all who are broken, come, all who are weary, come, and I will give you rest. I'll make your burden light, show up. She, she believed it, and therefore she went. And I, I want to tell you something. God is prepared to forgive you even before you realize you need to confess what you did. God is ready to forgive you. He's ready. Are you willing to admit it? I prayed with a gentleman this past week who came before a few of us who were ready to respond to some of the men that 
had brokenness and they were responding to the gospel, they were responding to a message and they needed prayer and an individual younger than me showed up and he came to me and I could sense something was going on and he was just weeping and I said, what's happening? And he said, well, I'm married and I have a little kid, I've got a little boy. And there's something that I don't want to pass along to my boy. And I just need prayer that I can have courage to not pass that along. And I assume it's some type of sin or some type of an agreement or some generational curse. I don't know what it was. But I, and so I, I said, well, what is it? He said, I, I, just, I just don't want to pass it along. And I said, well, can you confess it? And he's weeping and he's weeping. And he goes on to confess a deep immoral sin that he was getting involved with. And he said, I don't want that to be, I don't want that to be what my son goes through. And I couldn't help but just smile and tears in my eyes. I could sense the spirit of God saying, it's about time. I forgive you. It didn't matter how dark it was or how deep in sin he was. You could be a million steps away from God. It's one step back to him. And he says, I forgive you and I love you and you're my son and you're my daughter. It just takes us to have that boldness to say, you know what, God, I've, I've messed up. And he was willing to admit it. And we prayed with him and he was so encouraging. I was so encouraged. I'm like, oh, this is, this is so good. This is beautiful. This is the heart of God. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how deep in sin you are. God is saying, I'm willing to forgive you. I loved you. Even while you were still sinners, Romans says, I died for you. I died for you. The second thing that's happening is Jesus is not showing us just the rationale behind why she's approaching this, this man at this dinner table, but um, he compares and contrasts her hospitality with that of uh, this Pharisee. It's unique. He explains in a parable like Jesus often does. He answers things in parables. And he talks about two men who owe money, right? One owes a lot, one owes a little. How many of you have ever owed a debt that you had to work to pay off, Okay. How many of you uh, have a debt that you would just like for God to supernaturally pay off? And that could be your mortgage. Come on, in Jesus' name. That could be your student loans, in Jesus' name. Come on, Lord, send somebody with some money that can forgive me. I mean, please, God. And so, uh, so I read this story, and I'm, I'm encouraged, I'm inspired, and I might inaccurately apply it to my life and believe that it's going to happen to me. Um, but many of us have worked off to pay these debts. These two men, for some reason, again, it's a parable, uh, for some reason, the, the, the lender decides to say, you know what, I forgive you of the one who owed two years wages and the one who owed two months wages. Now, notice it doesn't get into what like we see in the parable of the talents where we see uh, them complaining. Wait a minute, how does that man get that owed? And I, they don't complain. They're both grateful, right? They're both grateful. They both shout hallelujah. And so Jesus asks Simon, which one uh, is more grateful? And Simon says, probably the one with the bigger debt. And Jesus says, Correct. Now, what's the point here? Is Jesus looking at who's the bigger sinner? Who's committed the most sins? No, that's not what Jesus is trying to teach her. This parable isn't about the amount of sin that you have. This parable is the amount of awareness you have about your sin. Are you aware? Notice the woman who is very much aware of what she's done. In fact, everybody knows that she's done. But now look at the Pharisee, who at the same time is living in sin, yet is not aware 
He does not see it. How dare Jesus invite a woman to my table? Look at the sin in her life. And, and if you know the passage in Luke chapter six, when he says, be so careful not to try and remove uh, the speck out of somebody else's eye when you've got a plank in your home. Are you aware of the fact that you are a sinner as well? Are you aware of the fact that every single day you need the mercy and grace of God? I mean, I'm, 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 I never want to think that I'm too good. I never want to think that I'm too great. I never want to think that I don't need to ever fall to my knees every single morning and I wake up and say, thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me of my wicked nature, my sinful nature. I thank God for that. And I never want to be at a place like this Pharisee who says, I can't believe that he would let a woman like this. Here's the difference. It's easy to notice sin that you can see and it takes wisdom and discernment from the Holy Spirit to see sin that you cannot see. And Jesus sees it. Real briefly, there's two ways that we can sin. You have sins of commission and sins of omission. Real briefly, let me explain this for you, okay? The sins of commission, these are sins that we take action to commit, whether in thought, word, or deed. It can be unintentional, it can be intentional. Think about back in the garden, Genesis chapter two. Do not eat from that tree. I think I want to eat from this tree, right? Committing a sin, direct disobedience. Think about David. What did David do with Bathsheba? He committed adultery. And then he murdered her husband, so he committed murder. So these are sins of commission. But now there are sins of omission. And these are the sins that we commit when we do not do something that we should do. A little bit different. Think about in James chapter 4, verse 17. It says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. Think about the story of the Good Samaritan. Who, was, who, who do we praise? The Good Samaritan. Who do we condemn? Oh, the priest and the Levite. Who walked by this man who was hurting? They knew what they needed to do, but they didn't do it. Again, this is sins of omission. Jesus talks more about this as he talks about when you see somebody hungry and you don't feed them, when you see them thirsty and you don't you know, give them a drink, when you see them naked and you don't clothe them, you're committing sin, when you see them sick and you don't help them, when you see them, um, they're, they're naked, they're ashamed, and you don't cater to them, you don't love them. I mean, these are the sins of omission that we're talking about. Who's committing the sin of commission? The woman. Who's committing the sin of omission? The Pharisee. Well, Jacob, uh, one's way worse, you know, as we, as we sit around the dinner table and we talk about all our sins, uh, some of you may do at your household. Uh, you, know, it's, it's, you know, my brother over here has committed uh, more sins than I have, uh, so his, his, his is way worse, right? Can I ask you this? Is sin to God all the same? Yeah. Now, now the consequence, is the consequence a little bit different? Of course, but just because I didn't commit adultery, you know, uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not a big sinner. Uh, but Jesus said, if you've lusted after a woman, if you've lusted after a man, it's the same thing. The consequences, yes, are very different, but it's the same thing. So we, we can argue here and say, you know, one is a little bit greater. The consequence, yes, but does God have some scale of like good sin and bad sin? That was an okay sin. You know, uh, that was an approved sin. No, never. All sin is wrong. And here's the truth. Your sins of omission might eventually lead to sins of commission. You know why David committed adultery with Bathsheba? Because David was not where he was supposed to be. Oh, he was in the palace. He's the king. He's supposed to be the king. No, they were off to war. 
And who's supposed to be at the front lines of the war? The king. Where was David? Sitting at his palace, because he said, you know what, I don't, I don't really want to go to war. I'm going to recline and enjoy the view. Wow, there's a beautiful woman. His sin of omission led to the sin of commission. David knew what he did, and he, and he hid it, but eventually he repented. And I want to share what David says in Psalm 51. Go with me there with Psalm 51 as I, as I wrap this up. Psalm 51, uh, verse 1. I want to read you seven verses. This is the psalm right after David gets called out by the prophet Nathan. He thought he could hide his sin of commission, which started with a sin of omission. But I want you, I want you to notice how his response is. Verse one, he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and I have done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth sinful from the time that my mother conceived me. But surely your desire or you desire truth in the inner parts of me. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. What what, what does David realize? He says, God, I have violated you. I have disobeyed your commands. I've not been doing what I should have been doing, and I've been doing what I should have not been doing. But God, I believe that you can heal me. And where does he go to? To the one person that can heal him, not just outwardly, but can heal him inwardly, and that's God. Where does this woman who is broken in sin, known for her sin, where does she run to? She runs to the table where God has an open invitation. That's where she goes. She goes to the one place that she knows that she can find healing. And God is like, woman, come right over here. We've all been in this place. And this is, this is my challenge for you this morning. It isn't necessarily to convict you that you need to belong to this table because many of you already belong to this table, but that's exactly it. I want to, you to remember when, when, when you were at that place, you were known for the sinful life that you were living in. You were known for all the, the acts of sin you committed, the people that you were sleeping around with, the drugs that you were, you were doing. You, 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 you knew and your family knew, but there was a point in your life like this woman that it didn't matter how ashamed you were, it didn't matter how embarrassed you were, you sensed that God was inviting you to sit at his table, and you showed up. Some of you were crawling like you were a zombie, but you showed up. It didn't matter how you got here, you got here. Anybody thankful that you got here, and he forgave you, and he loved you, and he said, your sin I cast as far as the east is from the west, and I remember it no more. And you're so grateful that God, he, he, he opened up a, a, a seat for you and you said, God, I'm unworthy. God, I don't, I don't deserve this, Father. I don't belong here. And God says, no, you do. No, but God, look what I've done. That's okay. I want you to know what I've done on that cross. Really? You want me to sit here, Jesus? Oh, it would mean everything. 
come on, I got this seat. And this is leather, by the way, so you know it's not cheap. I got this seat for you right here. Would you sit? And you remember 20 years ago, 10 years ago, some of you, it was two months ago, and you sat. And it was like, whoo, holy spirit, I, I feel different. I feel changed. Wow. And that's what, that's what Jesus is wanting the Pharisee to see was that it doesn't matter what kind of sin you have or the amount of your sin. I need you to be aware of it. And when you're aware of it, that I can work with, that I can, that I can begin to shape and change. And some of you, you sat here and you were so grateful. And you sat at a table where the invitation was open. And here you are and you're, you're eating the meals of Jesus. You're, you're diving into his word. You're just showing up to church. You're just like, this is awesome. I don't even know what this is, but that's so cool. I mean, Jesus is table. And some of you have been sitting here for 30 years, 50 years, 80 years. I don't know. And here you are and, and, and you're just, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You got an invitation. Your neighbor won't invite you ever to a table. Your boss won't ever invite you over to his house. You're, Maybe your pastor or your other church didn't even want you to be around. But it, with my relationship with God, it was like an open invite. And here I am and I'm sitting here and it's just amazing. And, and here's what I want to get you to understand is that we can, we can sit here for our whole lives and forgot the one thing that God asked us to do was to invite other people to sit at the table as well. To sit at your table. I know your table's intimate. I know your table's, it's you, it's your family. I know your table means a lot to you and you have deep conversations and, and that's special to you. But God gave up his life for you to sit at his table. And it'd be so easy just to sit here and be comfortable and show up to church and pray many blessings over my life and, and I'm blessed and highly favored. And meanwhile, the people around you who are desperately looking for salvation, they don't really know it yet, but they're looking for it and, and you've just been like, Huh? I said, the pastor will take care of them. You know, my other neighbor who's a little more spiritual than me, he'll take care of them. And uh, you've, you've got an extra seat. Some of you have two seats. Some of you have three seats. Some of you have a lot of seats. And, uh, and here you are and you're thinking, you know what? Uh, somebody will fill them, but not me because my table is closed now. And God's like, oh, what are you talking about? You remember Zacchaeus? We little Zacchaeus? He was a tax collector. Where, where, where would we find Zacchaeus? He was in what? A sycamore tree. Bless you. And uh, he's in a sycamore tree because he can't see, because he's small. And some of you like me, we know that short person syndrome. It's like, man, I wish that all places had like a, an incline and seat so I can see everything because I can't see the person who's speaking because um, I'm short. But Zacchaeus is short, so he climbs a tree and, and, and Jesus changes his whole life. And his first response is, I've got to throw a party. I've got I've to invite my friends to the table because I want them to see what Jesus has done in me. I can't hide it. I can't keep it to myself. I just, I gotta, I gotta tell people. And he invites sinners. He invites tax collectors. And, and Jesus, because there's an open invitation, Jesus shows up. And people are like, Zacchaeus, why do you, um, Jesus is at your house? And Jesus, you're at a tax collector's house? You're befriending sinners? What are you thinking, Jesus? But I want you to notice Zacchaeus' response. He says, I can't help but invite people to the story that I'm living in and what God has done for me. In the middle of my sin, in the middle of my brokenness, 
I was invited to the table. And my response now should be to invite others to the table. So my prayer for you is simple today. I want you, one, if you're a believer in this house, if you're a Christian, to know that uh, at one point in your life, you, you were invited. Whether you were dragged by mom by the ear, the church, every single Sunday. I'm like, mom, I always go to church every single Sunday, mom. She's like, because your dad's the pastor. Right? I gotta go to church, you know? Um, you know? Maybe you were dragged here. Maybe you were tricked to show up to church. Maybe you were, you know, somebody paid for you to be at a conference and, and you realized that God had an open invitation for me to sit at his table. So I want, you to, I want you to remember that and be grateful for that. In fact, can you just take a moment right where you're at and say, God, thank you for inviting me to that table. Thank you, Jesus. I remember, I remember how I was. I remember where I, where I was. I remember how broken I was. Thank you for inviting me to that table. In fact, can I tell you, church, I was eight years old and I sat at a table in our living room and my mom and dad remember this and my dad came up to me and I was reading my Bible. I was sitting at a table and, and he invited me to accept Jesus. And so at a table, a physical table, I sat at the table of God. So be, remember, be reminded of that, church. But secondly, I wonder if there's anybody in this room, anybody watching online, that you've been longing for something. You've been longing for, you've been desperately looking and you've done so much wrong and you're kind of like the, the prodigal son prodigal daughter, you've just gone, uh, you've gone astray and you found yourself doing a whole bunch of things and mom and dad aren't proud. Grandma and grandpa don't want to talk to you. Your sisters and brothers don't want to talk to you. Your church doesn't want you. You know, it's like, I've, I've just, there's no way that God would invite me to be at his table. And, and, uh, can I tell you the heart of God is the heart of a father who it doesn't matter how far you've gone. What is he going to do? He's gonna run to you, he's gonna open up his arms and he's gonna say, welcome home, son. Welcome home, daughter. Can I pray for you if that's you? God, all across this room right now, I wonder, anybody watching online, I just wonder if you're tugging at their heart right now and, and they're saying a lot of excuses like many of us have said, but God, you just, just you don't even know. You don't know the deep secrets of my heart. And what we know what the Bible says is that you know those deep secrets. And I just ask God if there's somebody in this room or online that you would be, you would allow them and, and encourage them and make it very clear for them that it's time to respond. It's time. The invitation's open. Here it is. Come on home. I know you've been far, but come on home. I know you've been desperately looking in all places, but come on home. This is the place you want to look. Come on home. God, I'll run. I've been carrying this burden for far too long. God, I want to give it to you and to lay it at your feet, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. God, I'll run to you. Not sure what I'm supposed to do, but here I am. Here I am. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way. Everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.